Welcome to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. Change the culture and the politics will follow. Here is your host, Mike Victor. Hey, welcome back to the Love Times 2 Podcast. We are now going to enjoy part two of a two-part interview with Dr. Christina Francis, who is the president of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. If you missed the first part of this, just go back and listen to the previous episode. You're not going to want to miss it. But let's jump right back in. We're going to be talking about some things you're going to find very informative today. Now, the FDA has now stepped in and made a significant change to how abortion drugs can be distributed in the United States. Not in every state. Just need to be clear. It's not in every state that will be impacted by this. Those states that require in-person counseling and examination, for example, uh, those states will not be impacted now, although those states have their laws under litigation. But this will impact every state that does not require in-person consultation, in-person delivery of the abortion drugs. Tell us what this change is and why it is so significant. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to even take a step back a little bit further from from December um, to not only show uh, your listeners what is happening at the governmental level, but also unfortunately what's happening at the sort of professional medical level and why it's so important that APLOG exists. So um, so back at the beginning or towards the beginning of the pandemic, um, ACOG, the American College of OBGYNs, which is sort of seen as the national experts when it comes to women's health care. They're the largest professional medical organization for OBGYNs, and they're actually where APLOG was birthed. We were birthed as a pro-life special interest group within ACOG back in 1973. Um, ACOG actually sued the FDA in the state of Maryland over the REMS. And these were restrictions that were put into place when Mifeprex was approved back in 2000, because the FDA at that time recognized that this drug was a very dangerous drug. And the only way that it could be approved for use is if there were very strict regulations in place of how it was used in order to minimize the adverse effects and maximize the quote unquote benefits. Although I would make a very strong argument that there is no benefit to these medications. Um, and so these restrictions were put into place in 2000. They were relaxed in 2016 under um, Robert Califf, who's actually up now again for a nomination for the head of the FDA. Um, and so they have been in place since then. And so ACOG, who is supposed to represent the interest of women's health and their children, you know, their preborn children, ACOG sued the FDA over these uh, in 2020, again, shortly after after the start of the pandemic, saying that they posed um, that they were medically unnecessary and that they posed an undue burden to women obtaining medication abortions during the pandemic. And so there was a there was an injunction placed against these restrictions uh, by a, a federal judge in Maryland. Um, and then the FDA took this issue under review. And then in December, they made a completely political decision, not a scientific decision, not a medical decision in any way. In fact, they ignored a wealth of evidence to show that lifting these restrictions would lead to an increased risk of um, damage to women, an increased risk of death for women, and certainly an increase in medication abortions, which of course is the death of preborn children. Um, they ignored a citizen's petition that was filed by APLOG outlining all of the risks and the harms that would be done to women by lifting these restrictions. And yet they chose to ignore those completely. So basically what they did 
all they did was leave in place the requirement that these be dispensed by a certified prescriber. But now women do not have to have an in-person visit and these medications can be dispensed through the mail. Hmm. And this poses extreme danger to women. So regardless of where, you know, if there are listeners listening to this who maybe aren't completely anti-abortion or, um, you know, still feel like women should have access to this. This is something that both sides of this argument should actually agree upon because there, this poses extreme danger to women. So let me just list out a few of those. First of all, the fact that she's not going to be seen in person means that it will be impossible to know that this woman is actually the woman that this medication is going to be um, taken by. So there's already been examples. In fact, there was one in Michigan of a boyfriend who wanted his girlfriend to have an abortion. She refused. So he ordered these online and got them and slipped them into her drink and caused an abortion, which she didn't want. Um, we know that sex traffickers uh, coerce their, their victims into getting abortions because a pregnant woman can't make as much money for them as one who's not pregnant. So this will allow potentially sex traffickers to be able to get their hands on these medications. Um, the second thing that's dangerous about this is we know that currently these drugs are approved up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. Beyond that, actually starting at about eight weeks, the risk of complications, specifically hemorrhage and need for emergent surgery starts to increase exponentially. So if a woman is beyond 10 weeks and she gets a hold of these medications and takes them in order to cause an abortion, her risk of complications is significantly higher. In fact, if she takes them in the second trimester, as many as 40% of women will need emergent surgery. Um, these are, this is being marketed. One of the reasons this was being pushed is for people who are remote from healthcare services. So what happens when a woman who's two hours away from the closest hospital that can provide emergency surgical services to her takes these medications at a gestational age that is far beyond that 10 week limit? Um, you know, we're going to see, not only are we seeing babies die through this, we are going to see women die because of this. Mm. Um, a couple other things that this poses a risk to women in is um, part of giving this these medications are that you need to be able to rule out an ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy is one that occurs outside of the uterine cavity, most commonly in the fallopian tube. When these grow and rupture, they cause life-threatening hemorrhage inside of the woman's abdomen and, in fact, is still one of the leading causes of maternal mortality in this country. You cannot, and I cannot overemphasize this enough, you cannot rule out an ectopic pregnancy based on talking to a woman alone. And yet this is what ACOG in their most recent practice bulletin on medication abortion. So if any OBGYNs are listening, I would encourage you go and look at that practice bulletin yourself. This is what ACOG is calling for. And this is what the FDA has said, that you can screen for ectopic pregnancy based on risk factors and symptoms alone. When we know that at least 50% of women with ectopic pregnancies will not have any risk factors and will not have symptoms until they've ruptured their ectopic pregnancy, at which case her life is already in danger. And the extreme danger in this is that the symptoms of a ruptured ectopic pregnancy are vaginal bleeding and pain, abdominal pain. The symptoms of a medication abortion, which a woman will be told to expect, are vaginal bleeding and abdominal pain. So she will have no way of knowing. And in fact, we are already getting multiple reports of women not being diagnosed with ectopic pregnancy because they obtain these medications without an ultrasound and having ruptured ectopics and then coming in nearly dead um, and having major complications. 
Wow. I mean, that's just mind blowing that, that, yeah. uh, that those, uh, risks are now being presented through this, this new regulation that allows these drugs just to be sent in the mail. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I would say to women that are listening, if there's a woman out there listening to this who's considering a medication abortion, you deserve better than this. Absolutely. Your baby deserves better than this, but you do as well. And I think women need to come together to demand that their health care be taken more seriously than this. I mean, this is absolute medical malpractice. You know, we talk a lot about changing hearts and minds, and we talk about the culture on this podcast, what it takes to move people in one direction or the other. And truly on this issue, there are so many folks that really uh, don't know the threat that abortion represents to women. So such things as we're talking about today with the chemical abortions, but also things like coerced abortion, uh, things like women who are being trafficked, I think the latest stat that I saw is 55% of women who are trafficked have had an abortion while they were trapped in that trafficking. What are the steps APLOG is taking right now to really help inform people about these negative consequences for women? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're doing that through a a number of different things. First of all, um, we have recently launched on our website, you can find a page dedicated to abortion pill reversal. So we have uh, recently partnered with Heartbeat International, uh, who is running the APR network, to inform more physicians and medical professionals about abortion pill reversal, about how it works and why it works and how they can sign up to be a provider. Because as the incidence of medication abortion increases in this country, we know we're going to have more women that regret their choice and want the choice of being able to save their child. And I keep using the word choice because, again, if you truly are pro-choice and you are about women having choices, we should want them to have this choice to be able to save their baby. Um, And not only does that allow us the chance to help these women and save their babies, but it gives us the chance to talk about the fact that that's a human being um, worthy of being saved and um, and that we can do something to intervene to try to help these women who regret the choice of their abortion. Um, the other thing that we're doing is really trying to uh, educate our membership and other medical professionals, including emergency room physicians, about the dangers of medication abortion and about how we expect to see these complications increasing because of the relaxation and really almost complete removal of medical supervision of these medications and these types of abortions. And so we're working right now on an initiative to um, to educate, like I said, specifically ER physicians. You know, I think oftentimes they're left out of this discussion around abortion, but they really are on the front lines. They're the ones that are going to be seeing these patients because when women call, unfortunately, when women call their abortion provider to tell them that they're experiencing side effects or severe symptoms or some sort of complication, oftentimes they're told one of two things, either take a Tylenol and go lay down, it'll get better, or go to the emergency room. And when you go there, just tell them that you're having a miscarriage. So women are abandoned by their abortion providers and they show up to emergency rooms. And so it's really those emergency room physicians who are on the front lines of seeing these women, caring for these women, providing the expert medical care that they should have received in the first place. And so it's really important that ER physicians and and nurses and, you know, anyone working in an emergency room be aware of this. Um, and then the other thing that we're doing is um, talking about this at our upcoming national conference. So that's at the end of this month in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, a big focus of, of our 
lectures that we're having are surrounding medication abortion, because even if Roe is overturned, which we're really hoping is what happens this year um, when the decision comes down in the Dobbs case, even if Roe is overturned, we know that this issue of medication abortion is going to still be at the forefront. And so we really have to educate, like you said, Mike. Um, it's about educating. It's about trying to affect policy and laws, but it's also about changing hearts and minds and helping women to realize the significant dangers of these medications. And, you know, one other thing that I think that, you know, we can do through podcasts like this is helping women to realize too, oftentimes what they're not told when they take these medications, first of all, their home then becomes the abortion facility. Their home is where this traumatic thing happens to them. And many women will actually see their baby as their baby passes. And I've talked to many women who have been told that that happened or that that happened and have been told, not been told that that would happen. And so um, they weren't prepared for that. And it just adds to the trauma of their abortion. So these are the things that we are trying to help save women from or help them be, you know, educated on so that hopefully they can make a different decision. What are some additional dangers or concerns that are being monitored by APLOG at this point? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in addition to looking at abortion from the patient side of things and and wanting to help change hearts and minds and, and help make sure that our patients are protected, the other side of this coin is when there's a perceived right to something or some kind of procedure, then there's a perceived duty for someone to provide that procedure. And this is what we faced from the time that that the Roe decision was issued, but it has become really heated, especially in the last oh five or so years, um, where medical professionals are really being pressured to um, participate in abortions or refer for abortions, but also medical trainees is is really where we're focusing. So anyone who's been sort of a lower level student or, you know, low man on the totem pole in a company or anything like that understands that when you are low man on the totem pole, you have very little say, right? You just have to kind of go along. Otherwise your future in that company or your future job could be in jeopardy. And I think nowhere is this seen more than for medical trainees. And what we have seen is in 2017, the ACGME, which is the accrediting body for medical schools and residencies in this country, um, changed their policy on abortion training from that OB programs need to provide opt-in abortion training, which means you don't have to include it as part of your normal curriculum, but you have to give a student an option of abortion training if they request it. To In order to be certified, you have to provide opt-out-only abortion training. And while that's the difference of one word, it is hugely different in its significance. What that means is that every training program has to provide abortion training as part of its normal curriculum with the option for low man on the totem pole, you know, first year intern who has their entire career ahead of them, for them to be bold enough to say, I know this is part of standard training, but I don't want to be a part of it. And so it's extremely coercive to... Um, that particular resident who may not feel comfortable doing an abortion. It's also extremely coercive in just sort of the culture that it sets up and this understanding of abortion being part of normal practice, even though, like I said in the beginning, 93% of OBGYNs don't perform abortions. This is not a part of standard OB practice, but it's being made to seem that way in training 
because the abortion industry recognizes they don't have enough people to perform abortions anymore, which is another reason why medication abortions are becoming increasingly frequent. And so in order to combat that, they're trying to force it upon training programs to make it a standardized part of the curriculum. Um, and I, you know, just to show how important and how significant this is, I, I had a conversation recently with someone who led a residency program who said that he saw when that switch occurred, he saw the attitudes of his residents switch completely from most of them not feeling comfortable with abortion to the majority of them actually performing abortions as part of their training. Hmm. Um, and so this is really significant. It's significant to anyone who's considering going into medicine. It's significant to any patients out there. If this is allowed to continue, it is going to be very hard for anyone to find a pro-life physician. And so APLOG has been on the leading edge of fighting this ever since the ACGME made that switch and, and even before um, we filed amicus briefs in every major conscience case uh, that's been before the Supreme Court in the last 50 years. Um, and we are partnering with other medical organizations like the Christian Medical and Dental Association, the Catholic Medical Association, and others um, to form an alliance of Hippocratic medical organizations that will um, be on the forefront of defending the right to practice Hippocratic medicine, which expressly forbids um, abortion and euthanasia. And so that's kind of where we're at right now and, and why we need more people to join us because there's power in numbers and, and we're, you know, we're kind of David going up against Goliath of um, ACOG and the AMA and um, several other major medical organizations that have just become very pro-death in the last several years. This has been just an incredibly informative interview. I really appreciate everything that you've been sharing. APLOG's doing terrific work across the country. You're doing a great job in leadership. I'm just really hoping and praying that there are health professionals listening who have just never really taken that step to get involved, that this is your nudge uh, to actively get involved in speaking for moms and for babies. Let this be the time that you step up to the plate. If people want to find out more about APLOG or they want to get involved or maybe they want to book you to come in and do uh, speaking at an event. How can they do that? Absolutely. We would, I would love that. And, uh, and if for some reason I'm not available, we can, we can provide another APLOG representative, but I love, I love speaking to people and, and helping get this information out there. So if someone is interested in that, they can contact us at communications at aaplog.org and, uh, and someone will get back with you right away. And like you said, we can do this for any number of, of potential venues and, and certainly as an Indiana Right to Life board member, I would be more than thrilled to participate in a Right to Life fundraiser, um, but also speak for pregnancy resource centers and um, and multiple other kinds of groups as well. Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast today. I know that you are a very busy person. Your time is appreciated. This has been very informative. If you're a health professional, it's time to get involved. Find out more about APLOG. Find out what you can do. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. And thank you for all the work that, that you are doing and that Love Times 2 is doing as well. Hey, that's it for this episode of the Love Times 2 podcast. Glad that you listened today. You may have stumbled across this podcast for the first time. I hope that you're subscribing, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever it might be. Subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you like the podcast, uh, give us a favorable review, and uh, we would really appreciate that. Hey, never forget, change the culture, and the politics will follow. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of the Love Times 2 Project. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And never forget, change the culture and the politics will follow.